Good morning, YCC. Over these weeks, we are seeking to answer three basic questions. Why are we here as a local church? In other words, what is our mission? How are we to live? What are our values? And thirdly, where are we to specifically focus? What is our vision? Over the past couple of months, we've shared quite a bit about faith and hope and love, which we've summarised as our why, our mission or purpose, living out faith, hope and love in our community. And last week, Adam talked about the first of our values, about story. And I want to explore this a little bit further. Now, we've talked about story previously, and I know that for some of us, it seemed like a rather strange word to describe a value. And in some ways, it is. As a leadership team, we've really wrestled with this and we've, we've talked it over and we've prayed about it and we've mulled it, really trying to find an alternative. But nothing else quite captured what we believe needed to be said. Now, if you heard Adam's talk last week, you may recall that he shared a quotation from someone about making a movie about getting a Volvo and how that would be unspeakably dull. Personally, I found that a little bit harsh thing as I drive a Volvo. But I get the point. We need to know the story within which we are living and it matters. We need to know the story in which we are living and it matters. You see, the story we live in impacts our motivations, our hopes, our priorities, our choices. It shapes how we think, how we live, how we behave. So when we use the word story, what we're trying to capture is simply this. We are part of something far, far greater, far greater than we typically appreciate certainly far greater than most people around us imagine. You see, it's not merely that as a local group of Jesus followers, we are part of the wider church in Yeovil, the wider church in the UK, the worldwide church, as, as Adam explained. That's true and that's important. It's not even that, as Adam also explained, we are to be, we're called to be active participants in this worldwide community of disciples that 2000 years ago Jesus lived, died and rose again to create. That's also true and is also important. But more than this, as part of the historic worldwide body of Jesus, we are fundamental to God's plans for this earth. We are pivotal to his purpose to reclaim and renew the whole of creation. Really? Does that sound a little bit arrogant, a little bit overinflated? After all, many people, at least in our society, tend to think that the church is largely irrelevant, a sort of outdated relic from an earlier generation. But you see, we are central to God's purposes, not because we are somehow super special in and of ourselves, but because God has always intended that men and women fulfill a unique and pivotal role within creation. Yes, 
Mankind messed up, sold out and became part of the problem within a rebellious creation rather than part of the solution. But in and through Jesus, a new humanity, a restored humanity has been birthed to take up once again in this age and in the age to come God's original intention for mankind within creation. So let me just for a minute sketch out this larger story from various scriptures. Genesis chapter 1. God spoke, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, the cattle and yes, earth itself and every animal that moves on the face of earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. God blessed them, prosper, reproduce, fill earth, take charge, be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. That was God's commission to mankind. Psalm 8. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. And yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honour. You gave them charge of everything you made putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and the, all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea and everything that swims the ocean currents. O oh Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Moving over to the New Testament, Romans chapter 8. The sufferings we go through in this present time are not worth putting in the scale alongside the glory that is going to be unveiled for us. Yes, creation itself is on tiptoe with expectation, eagerly awaiting the moment when God's children will be revealed. Creation, you see, was subjected to pointless utility, not of its own volition, but because of the one who placed it in this subjection, in the hope that creation itself would be free from its slavery to decay, to enjoy the freedom that comes when God's children are glorified. We know that the entire creation is groaning together and going through labour pains together up until the present time. Not only so, but we too, who have the first fruits of the Spirit's life within us, are groaning within ourselves as we eagerly await our adoption, the redemption of our body. And then right to the end of Scripture, Revelation 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne, saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. This is the story within which 
we are meant to live. This is the story within which we are meant to live. And we do well to repeatedly reflect on it. Let it soak into our imaginations. Let it colour the way we think, the way we talk, the way we act and react, the way we live and the way we hope. And this is so very different from how the Christian story is so often conceived or assumed, both by people in general and, sadly, often by us as people who follow Jesus. Too often we see ourselves in a, a much narrower, smaller, more limited narrative. Because, you see, our story is not fundamentally about, for example, personal piety, merely living by a Christian moral code. That's what is typically assumed by many. And our story certainly does include this. It is important, as Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? But this is not the whole story. Nor is it merely about doing good works. That is also important. And as, as James spells out, faith that doesn't get worked out in practical acts of love is not really faith at all. But again, it's not the whole story. Nor is it just about being forgiven, though that is a crucial step in being reconnected with our Father. It's vital, but it's not the end goal of God's purposes for us. If you like, forgiveness is the means, but it's not the meaning of our story. Nor is it about guaranteeing us a present life of health, wealth and comfort. Or as the US Constitution says, life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Yes, Jesus does promise us life in all its fullness. And yet, I wonder why we assume he was referring primarily to our experience in this age. Because if that's what he meant, we might think that it didn't obviously work out quite that way for him. Nor for his first disciples. In fact, Jesus promised us trouble in the world. And it's certainly not about just securing a place in heaven for us, what Adam called the evacuation gospel. Just hanging on until we are taken out of this world. As one well-known teacher rather memorably said, heaven is important, but it's not the end of the world. As we read in that passage from Revelation, God's purpose is not for us to go, but for him to come. And you see, many of us have grown up with various versions of this abbreviated and cut down story. And in our very individualistic society, it's very easy to absorb the general cultural consensus that to be a Christian is just about personal piety or doing some good works or being forgiven or enjoying a good life and going to heaven. But it is so, so much greater than that. You see, our true story is all about being restored to our original calling, our calling to carry responsibility in and for this creation that God still loves, fractured as it currently is. We are intended to fulfil the role of stewards of his creation, of loving rule for this earth. Yes, this will only be fully worked out in the age to come, and in this age we are caught up in a spiritual war zone. But in our everyday lives now, 
We seek to anticipate that coming day, bringing more and more of the life and the power and the love of the age to come into the brokenness of this age. That is what the kingdom of God is all about. So how does this matter? Why do we believe that story in this sense is such a core value for us? What does it mean for us to live with an awareness of this far greater story within which we are privileged participants? Let me suggest five things. Firstly, it means we have significance. We are not merely accidents of evolution, not just the sort of random development from simple life forms that happen to be lucky enough to be born on a planet that somehow retained its atmosphere and avoided being permanently trashed by cosmic impacts. You and I are deeply significant, royal daughters and sons of the creator of the universe. We have significance. Secondly, it means we have purpose. No matter how ordinary our present situation may seem, we have a calling to pray and serve and work towards God's growing kingdom now and for the renewed earth in the future. As Paul boldly declares in 1 Corinthians 15, with all this going for us, my dear, dear friends, stand your ground and don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the master confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. Living in this bigger story, keeping that awareness filling our minds means we have significance, it means we have purpose. Thirdly, it means we should expect our lives and our service for Jesus to be contested. Because this earth is still under the domination of powers opposed to its creator. But note, our battle is not against other people, but against these underlying spiritual forces. People we are called to sacrificially love, even those who may oppose us or even hate us. The powers of this dark world, these we are called to resist. And we do that by standing firm in who we truly are. And from that position, contending in prayer. And I would just say how encouraging it is to see so many people beginning to get caught up in the desire to pray together more and consistently. I think it's brilliant and is very significant. We have significance, we have purpose. We can expect to be contested. Fourthly, it means we have hope, not some vague wishful thinking for the future, but a clear and tangible hope. I was reading something this week from John Mark Comer, which expresses this, in my view, really, really well. He says this, just say our hope is Jesus, risks us importing our own ideas or our own wishful thinking into Jesus's actual promises. And he goes on, when I teach on hope, he says, I sketch a biblical theology of hope in four contours our hope is, one, Jesus will return to end all suffering and renew all creation. In the meantime, two, Jesus is with us. And three, we'll utilise our suffering to form us into people of agape, 
who have the character and capacity to co-rule with him in the future world. And four, Jesus will bring forward good from the age to come into the pain and suffering of this present age. And while it's only a taste of what's coming, it's still a gift. And that summary touches on the final reason why story is an important core value for us. Yes, it's important because it means we have significance. Yes, we have purpose. Yes, we should expect it to be contested. Yes, we have hope. But fifthly, given that we are part of this cosmic narrative, we can begin, we can begin to grasp, as I shared a few weeks back, that we are being prepared, prepared for future responsibility that God intends that we carry. While God does not ordinarily ordain suffering for us, as that quote from John Mark Comer puts it, he will utilise our suffering to form us into people of agape, that is, selfless love, who have the character and the capacity to co-rule with him in the future world. That doesn't reduce our suffering, nor does it answer our questions, but we do know that our loving Father will nevertheless use these to shape us, not just to tweak our characters or our attitudes, but to prepare us, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Living with an awareness of this majestic story of which we, weak as we are, are an integral part. It helps us in the middle of our mundane everyday challenges to comprehend that we have significance, we have purpose, we can contend, we have hope and we are being prepared. So how can we get better at retaining this awareness? When Paul states that our present troubles are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory, he goes on to give a word of advice because, he says, we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. What can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. How do we train ourselves to look at what cannot be seen? Well, one way I would suggest is to repeatedly soak ourselves in the promises of scripture. So I would encourage you, as I encourage myself, each day this next week, and as a regular ongoing habit, to read the scriptures such as those I've referred to this morning, over and over. Read them in different versions, put them in your own words, memorise them if you can, so that we become truly grounded in this true story, truly grounded in this true story. And so I'm going to reread in conclusion those verses from Romans 8. You may want to just pause, you may want to close your eyes and just concentrate for a minute as you just allow these words to sink deeply in. The sufferings we go through in this present time are not worth putting in the scale alongside the glory that is going to be unveiled for us. Yes, creation itself is on tiptoe with expectation. 
eagerly awaiting the moment when God's children will be revealed. Creation, you see, was subjected to pointless futility, not of its own volition, but because of the one who placed it in this subjection, in the hope that creation itself would be free from its slavery to decay, to enjoy the freedom that comes when God's children are glorified. We know that the entire creation is groaning together and going through labour pains together up until the present time. Not only so, we too, who have the first fruits of the Spirit's life within us, are groaning within ourselves as we eagerly await our adoption, the redemption of our body. As we just allow those words to resonate in our minds, let's just pause to pray. Holy Father, you have such incredible plans for mankind and for us as followers of Jesus, part of the new humanity that you are creating. Help us, Father, to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened, to know the hope to which you have called us, your inheritance in us. Help us to retain and to grow in that sense of who we are and who you've called us to be, to live in the bigger story that you have mapped out for us. In 1 John 3, the Apostle says this, See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Thank you.